Well, our scripture reading for today comes from Philippians chapter four. As I mentioned, we're, we're, as we're talking about vision and where the Lord's leading us, we're looking at this, uh, we're having a little study in the book of Philippians. We're not gonna be looking at the whole thing, but it's a great letter to consider. Paul is writing to the Philippian church. This was a missional church. It was a healthy church. It was a church that Paul loved. And I think that our text today has a lot to teach us about partnership and what it means for Christians to partner together for kingdom advance. So Philippians chapter four, verse 10 through 20, if you'll follow along as I read aloud, and of course we believe that these words come to us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. So let's hear together the word of Christ. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of placing, uh, facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into a partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, if you've, if you've read the Apostle Paul, if you've read any of Paul's letters, he has this pattern that he follows. He starts with doctrine or with what I like to call gospel clarity. He begins with the gospel, and then from the gospel, he works his way to gospel application, from gospel clarity to gospel application. And I think that this is really important for us, especially as we're talking about ministry and missions, understanding this idea of gospel clarity and gospel application. Uh, we want to be very clear as a church on what is the gospel. And of course, when we talk about the gospel, we're talking about the saving and redeeming work of Jesus by his perfect and righteous life, by his atoning death, by his life-giving resurrection. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news that saves us, that, that redeems our lives, that brings us back into fellowship with God. One of the ways that we talk about the gospel here all the time, in fact, if you go back into our children's ministry area, you'll see these words all over the children's ministry, God, man, Jesus, response. So in order to understand and believe the gospel, you, you have to have some sort of concept of God, a right concept of God, that he is God, and that he is sovereign, that he is almighty over the whole world. And once you begin to understand God, you can start to understand who we are in light of God, who man is. We are created by God, but we've rebelled against God. We've sinned against God. We've, we've gone away from God's order. We've gone away from God's design. And that's left us in a really 
bad state. It's, it's actually left us in a state where we can do nothing to, to save ourselves or to work ourselves back into fellowship with God. We, we are so dependent on God doing something to save us, to bring us back into fellowship with himself. And of course, we believe this is where the good news of Jesus Christ comes in, that God has done that, that he has sent his son, Jesus, to, to live a perfect life, to live a righteous life, the kind of life that we cannot live because of our own propensity towards sin, and to not be rewarded for his righteous life, but rather to actually die in our place, to take on our record of sin, to pay the just punishment for our sin, because was what Jesus did for us on the cross, and to die in our place. But of course, Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus was raised from the dead. He now lives and is now preparing an eternal home, an eternal kingdom for all who believe in this good news, who, to all who are found in him, God, man, Jesus. And all of this calls for a response. If all of this is true, if God has done this for you, if God is saving you through the righteous work of Jesus, then, then you have to respond to that. If you've heard this message that I am just, just said to you, you have to respond to that. You can either reject it, kind of continue just to live your life and follow your order and continue to reject God's order, or you can believe, you can look to Christ, you can find yourself in him, you can find your identity in him. This is the clear gospel. Now, this gospel, this good news, calls out of us necessary responses or necessary, if you want to use the word I used before, applications of the gospel. And Paul is really, really good at helping us understand how the gospel calls out obedience or application in our lives. So let me give you an example. Back in chapter two, turn over to chapter two with me. He's calling the Philippian church to humility. If, if we're gonna work together as a church, if we're gonna be in gospel partnership, if we're gonna love one another, if we're gonna serve one another, we need humility. There's a, there's, there's a character trait that is uh, necessary for the Christian life. But it, it is itself a response to the gospel, what God has done for us. So look at verse three. Do nothing from, this is chapter two again, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. So he's calling the Philippian church here toward humility. How does he do it? And then he goes into this section, verse five, this famous passage of scripture. He says, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. I love the, the way that the TNIV says it. Uh, equality with God, a thing to be used for his own advantage. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men, by being found in human form, he humbled himself, by becoming it obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
What is this saying here? It's saying, look, you're not humble, right? There is a holy God and his order requires humility. You're not humble, but God has been gracious to you and he sent Jesus who came and he lived a totally righteous life. He was obedient to the Father's will in every way, even to the point of death, even to the point of giving his life as a sacrifice in order to redeem sinners like us. And now he has been raised and seated in the heavenly places and given the greatest name. And if all of that is true, then how do we, as those who are redeemed in Christ, respond? Well, he's saying you respond by being humble. If God, if Jesus is so humble, if Jesus was willing to humble himself under God's order in this way, we as Christians, in response to this gospel, must also be humble. So he says in verse 12, this kind of general statement, in light of this gospel, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In response to what God is doing in your life by saving you through the work of Jesus, you now work out, you respond. There is an application to this gospel in your life. So let me just really be clear here. And you're like, why, why are we going into this? This is really important. Humility is not the gospel. Just because you may be a humble person, that doesn't mean that you've been redeemed by God. That doesn't mean that you're unified with God. That doesn't mean that you're saved. No, we're only saved by the righteous life, atoning death, and resurrecting power of Jesus. We're only saved by the good news of Jesus Christ. But if that has happened, if, if, if you believe that gospel, if that gospel has taken a hold of your heart, then one of the necessary responses to the gospel is that you would be humble in light of the humility of Christ. Love is not the gospel, right? Just because you love someone, that doesn't make you a Christian. That doesn't make you someone who's been redeemed by God. But love is a necessary response to the gospel. If God has so loved you that he would give his only son to die in your place, if God has so loved you that Jesus would suffer in your place so that you could be redeemed and brought back into fellowship with God, then what? Then, then you must love. How could you not love? How could you not be filled with the love of God? So there's gospel and gospel response. And I want to be very clear with this because we, we live in a world of missional confusion where we might say, you know, I'm doing something kind or I'm doing something generous or I'm doing something like this. This is gospel work. And, and what I just want to be clear on is a lot of those things are responses to the gospel. But the necessary gospel, and we see this all throughout the book of Philippians, the necessary power of 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 the gospel that God in his mercy and kindness has sent his son Jesus to redeem us and to call us back into relationship with himself by his righteous life, atoning death, and life-giving resurrection. The necessity of that gospel, that is the gospel. And we can't divorce that. Our, our, our missional work, our good behavior, our love, our mercy, our humility, their responses to that, their right responses to that, but, but they should never be confused with that. But what Paul's doing here in this back half of the Philippians 4 is he's saying, look, one of the necessary responses, there's two necessary responses to the gospel, are contentment and partnership. Contentment and partnership. If you're a Christian, these are two things 
that should be true of your life. Contentment in partnership. So let's look at contentment. Now, let me start before I say what I'm about to say. Let me start by saying, like, I love Tim Tebow, okay? So I don't mean any disrespect to any of you Florida Gator fans out there. I think Tim Tebow's been a consistent and faithful witness to the gospel. But if you're a big Tim Tebow fan, you might have gotten confused on the meaning of Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I don't even know if Tim Tebow meant to say it this way, but I've, I've heard a lot of people interpret this verse. Man, I can do all things through Jesus. If Jesus is on my team, then nothing's gonna overcome me. I can, I can beat Alabama if Jesus is on my team. You know, I can beat the best team as long as I've got Jesus, right? That's not really what Paul's trying to say here. Actually, what he's saying is... <laughs> Even if I lose, my identity is not in my wins or my losses. My identity is Christ. I, I know how to abound and I know how to be brought low. I know how to have plenty and I know how to have how to be in great want. But but I can do all of that. I can survive all of that. I can be, I can rejoice in all of that because Christ is my strength. I can do all of this in Christ. It is a call to contentment. And again, it's a gospel response. If you have been so redeemed in Christ, if what I just said was true, if the God of the universe, the eternal God of the universe, has called you out of the darkness of sin into fellowship with himself, if you can know God, think about that. If God was so willing that you would know him to give his own son to die in your place, what kind of love and mercy is that? If that's true, and if God is preparing for you an eternal home where you'll have eternal fellowship with God in Christ, full of joy and full of life and love and community and, 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 and without sin, complete wholeness, complete shalom, if that's God's plan for you, then here's the deal. You can be content. You can be content. It's a response to the gospel. Now, contentment's kind of one of those things that's a little hard to talk about as an American, like, we're, we're not really content people. <laughs> we're like go-getters, you know? We're winners. We, we've got to achieve. We got to go make it happen, right? We're, we're pull ourselves up by our bootstraps kind of folks. Content? No, we're, we're ambitious folks. Cornelius Vanderbilt, in 1810, got a $100 loan from his mom, and he went and bought a ferry, and he turned that $100 into what would be today $185 billion, okay? We hear those kind of stories and we're like, yeah, that's America, right? That's the American way. We're go-getters. We're ambitious. We can solve the problem. We can make it happen. We're inspired by stories like, you know, Roosevelt and all these, you know, Kennedy, Rockefeller, even modern day stories like, like Jay-Z. I was thinking about Jay-Z. And this, this guy grew up in the projects with nothing. And now, you know, he's married to Beyonce. He's billionaire. He's one of the most influential voices in the whole world. Those are the kind of stories that we like. And so contentment <laughs> in the American way, it's kind of hard for these two to go together. And the reason I say that it's kind of hard for these two to go together is it, it's kind of hard for these two to go together. Now, but Paul in this passage, or right before this passage, gives us the secret to being content. 
he gives us this, how do, you, how do you really find contentment? How do you really find that place where you can both abound and be in want, yet be content? And, and he says it in verse four. Again, I didn't read it, but here's the secret. What is the secret to contentment? Rejoice in the Lord. <laughs> I will say it again. Rejoice. What is the anchor of your joy? What is the anchor of your contentment? What is that thing that's got to be in place in order for you to be content? And, and what Paul, over and over and over through this book to the Philippians, is saying is, the anchor is the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Anchor yourself in the Lord. You know, for a lot of Atlantans, our joy, our anchor is in our work, right? You know, Atlanta's a workhorse, right? Atlanta, we don't have things like oceans and mountains. We just work hard, right? We transport people around. We start industries. We make stuff. We work. Atlanta's a workhorse. And in a place like this, it can be very easy for you to begin to believe that the anchor of your identity and the anchor of your joy and the anchor of your security is your job. And you know, a job is very promising, right? A job can give you money. A job can give you a status, right? You can advance in your career. People say, oh, he's this, he's that, she's this. She's got a big job. He's got a small, you know, we, we, oh man, I can be somebody, in this job. I can work harder and kind of show how worthy I am. And you see, like this, it's easy to find your identity in your work and in your job. You know, I say, I talk about work a lot here, but look, if, if I was, if you guys were a bunch of like rice farmers and all day long you went out and you, you know, were in the hot sun trying to produce a crop of rice, I probably wouldn't be so worried about your work becoming an idol in your life. But you're not rice farmers. You guys have interesting jobs that can pay you a lot of money and can give you big titles. And so I worry about it. I worry about it for all of us, that our identity would be in our work. And if your identity is in your work, I just want you to hear this, you're going to work all the time. You won't be able to stop. You're never going to be content because man, my work gave me this. Well, it could give me this too. If I just work a little bit harder, if I just get a little bit more, if I just get that next promotion, I can, I can really then be content and be settled if I could just get here. Some people find identity in relationships. If I could just be part of this friend group. You know, I, I deal with a lot of young folks here. If I could just get married, right? If I could just find a wife or I could just find a husband, then, oh man, I, would, I, would, I promise you, then I would never ask for anything else. I'd be so happy. I just want to say, if, if you think that marriage is going to make you ultimately content, if that's the mindset you have, I just want you to hear this. You're going to be a lousy husband, or you'll be a lousy wife. You won't really be able to love your spouse when they fail you, because they're the source of your joy. <laughs> they're the one that's going to make you happy. What about when they don't make you happy? <laughs> What about when, when they're frustrating? You'll, you won't be able to love them through that. You'll crush them. You see, these are good things. I mean, work is a good thing. 
It's commended in scripture. Marriage, relationships, these are good things, but they're not meant to be ultimate things. They'll never bring you to contentment. They'll never really satisfy you. But Paul gives you the secret. He says, rejoice in the Lord, the sovereign one, the one who has all authority. Rejoice in him. He's eternal. He's almighty. He can actually satisfy your soul. He's actually what you were designed to be fulfilled in. He's actually the only one weighty enough. You know the word for glory in the Old Testament? It's my favorite words. It's kavod. Kavod. You know what that means? Literally, it's the weight of God. God's the only one weighty enough that can really satisfy your hunger for identity. This is where it's found. Rejoice in the Lord. Look at Paul. Go back to chapter 3 with me. He's a really good example of this. Chapter 3, look at verse 4. Paul says, look, okay, here's Paul. I mean, he's, he's like a lantern, right? If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was a people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I mean, Paul's the guy. He's got the pedigree, right? He went to the right schools. He's got the Ivy League education. He was the youngest in his firm to make partner. Everything was going great for him. This guy is advancing beyond everybody. But then he met Jesus. He saw this eternal and big God. He, He heard this gospel the good news that God in Christ was bringing him back into relationship with himself. And he says, but whatever gain I had, verse seven, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness that comes by my achievement, right? By comes under the law, by the stuff that I do. But no, the righteousness, the true righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. Here's what he's saying. When, when you really understand the gospel, man, but in light of this, when I, when I met Jesus, it all became rubbish. When you really understand the gospel, when you really understand who you are in Christ, a son or a daughter of the eternal and living God, when you really understand the joy and inheritance and glory that God has in store for you as his child, when you really understand this, when you really understand what God is calling you to, then, then all of these little earthly things will get so small, so fast. And that's why I'm so glad you're here. I'm I'm so glad we're here. I was having a conversation with a couple as they were leaving the first service, and they were saying, you know what? I needed to be here because I'm the guy that forgets. (laughs) I'm the guy that forgets. I let all these other little things creep in. I let my work status creep in and I start to find my identity there. I let my relationships or or whatever it is, my wealth or my place, I let all these things creep in and when they creep in, they can block out God and we forget who we really are in Christ and and what a worship service will do and what reading your Bible on a regular basis does and what being in community with other believers and what serving people in the name of Christ does. You know what all that does? You know why we talk about it all the time? It's because that peels back the layers and all of a sudden you'd be like, oh yeah, this is who I am. I'm a child of God. And I thought being the regional manager was going to make me happy. 
I thought going out on a date with this girl was going to bring me contentment. No, all of that, it's good. It's good stuff. It's important. But it's so small compared to who you really are in Christ. Whatever gain I had, it was loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing God in Jesus. So the first thing that we see here, contentment, if we really know God, we'll be content. There's a contentment. We'd rejoice in the Lord. We'll be content. But this, the second thing, it gives us the secret to contentment, rejoicing in the Lord. But the second thing this passage does is it teaches us how to discern true contentment. I love this. Look at verse 10. We looked at this before, but Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly at length now that you've received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstances, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Barrett, who y'all heard from before, Barrett and I have been friends for a long time. Um, I love him as a brother, as a brother in Christ. He is a great missionary. One of the things that he says to me that I love, I love this little phrase. He said, there's nothing worse than a self-righteous missionary. And I love this. There's nothing worse than a self-righteous missionary. What does he mean by that? He's like, there's nothing worse than meeting the guy that's the missionary. And he just wants to kind of show you, look at all that I've done for the Lord, Right. I've sacrificed, I'm out here, it's hard on the mission field, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. That's so wise. Paul's not doing that here. That's not what Paul's doing. That's what I love about this. Paul's like, I've abounded, and you know what? It's awesome, I love to abound, but I don't have to abound. I've had much. Who doesn't wanna have much? I wanna have much, but I've also had little. And in all that, I've learned to be content. Some of you are not content in the Lord. You're not rejoicing in the Lord because there's some idol that's crept in. There's something that's primary in your life, and you're not really trusting the Lord. You know, we're talking about generosity in this whole thing. I mean, it's a great place to illustrate it. There's this, there's this Christian principle of first fruits. And again, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to twist anybody's arm to say, hey, give, 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 you know, whatever. Here's what I'm trying to say. Does, does God have any priority in the way that you think about your money? When you sit down to budget for 2021, the first question, if, if, if your joy is in Christ, the first question you should say is, how are we gonna use the money that God has given us to advance his kingdom? And you know, I hope if you remember here, some of that's a Christ covenant, some of it may be somewhere else. Uh, again, I'm not trying to like, you know, sell anything here. I just, is that, is that at all primary in your life? I hope that one of the things you say is, okay, one of the first things we wanna do, we wanna serve the Lord this year. How are we gonna leverage our time in order to really serve God this year? I wanna have a prayer life. I wanna have a robust prayer life this year. How am I gonna leverage my time in order to have a robust prayer life? Are those the first questions that you're asking? Or are they kind of the things that you ask It's like, Oh yeah, well we have a little extra, we'll do this or we'll do that. Is God the anchor of your joy or is he just kind of a little bit of a part of your life? So some of you, 
You're not rejoicing in the Lord and you're not content in the Lord because there's other idols that have crept in that always get the first attention. But some of y'all, and I just want you to hear this, some of y'all, and be careful of this, don't be the person that maybe you have sacrificed, maybe you have given a lot, maybe you are doing a lot and everybody has to know about it. I just want you to say, if that's true of you, then you're not rejoicing in the Lord. You're rejoicing in what you're doing for the Lord. And you're just as discontent. <laughs> you're just as discontent. That the true servant of God is like, look, I can abound, I can be in want, whatever. My joy is in the Lord. Man, that's, that's what I so want for this church. That's what I so want for you. That's what I so want for us, that we would be a content people. If, if you're always having to tell people about all that you're doing for the Lord, is it the Lord you really con are concerned about or is it your brand that you're really concerned about? And if this is true, if we have found the secret of contentment, rejoicing in the Lord, and if there's evidence of true contentment in our lives, what it will naturally lead us to is the second fruit, the second application, the second response to the gospel, and that is what we've been talking about today, partnership. If we're a content church, we're going to be a partnering church. How is the gospel going to go advance? How does the gospel advance? I mean, how are you as an individual? Here's David Berg. David, how are you as an individual going to advance? If I just said, go and make disciples of the whole world. Okay, go. What do you do? You know, the, the thing is, not much. <laughs> what do you do? You partner with other people. You engage with other people. You engage in the life of a church. And then that church engages in partnerships with other churches. And we work together. And, and when we do the gospel goes forward. This is always how the gospel has gone forward. And, and let me just have a, a little bit of a moment of, of honesty with you today. I am really personally discouraged right now. And, and, and um, I just think this is something we should commit to as a church. A about the state of partnership in, among, in and among Christian churches. There's, there's one side where I feel like we're just like so brand focused and so kind of focused on building like our little kingdom. I, I hope that's not true of us. And then on the other side, you know, I had a meeting with a bunch of pastors this week. And we, we know that we live in a divided time, right? There's cultural division, there's political division. And I had this meeting with these guys this week, and based on political division, there, there's partnerships that are breaking up. And I'm just thinking to myself, what is going on here? You know, how have we let the, the kingdoms of man transcend who we are as brothers and sisters in Christ? You know, and I'm not saying that our political decisions or cultural decisions. I'm not saying these things are unimportant, but if, if someone has to agree with you perfectly politically in order for you to advance the gospel with them, we're going to be a dinky little pitiful church, and we're not going to do much. If, if we have to be totally homogenous in our style, and in, of course, if we're going to partner, we need theological agreement, we need missional agreement. Yes, of course we need these things, but Man, I am so discouraged at, at, at this like heightened level of, of lesser things in terms of missional partnership. 
But, but the, the good news is, is that we can do this. Like, I've told you all this story. In 2012, I went to Indonesia to teach a little pastor's conference. And on the way back, I met Tom Elif, who at that time was the president of the International Missions Board. And I, you know, I was pastoring in Covington, Georgia at the time. And I, and I said, you know, I'm going back to Atlanta. I live in the Atlanta area. And he said, oh, I was just in Atlanta. He said, I was meeting with some executives at Coca-Cola. And I was thinking to myself, why, you know, why was the IMB president meeting with Coke? You know, are we, we going to start serving Coke with gospel tracks or something? Like, what's, what's happening here? And he said to me, and I, I've, this has always stuck with me. He said to me, you know, Coke, Coke started Pemberton, 1880s. I know you know the story right here in Atlanta, Georgia, but it became a corporation. Coca-Cola Company founded in 1892. And from that time, from 1892 until today, you know where Coca-Cola is? You know where you can find Coca-Cola? Everywhere. Coca-Cola is everywhere. They have fulfilled the Coca-Cola commission, right? Like they, they have gone to the ends of the earth. You, you go to the most remote village anywhere. I mean, I've been there. You go out to the far reaches of wherever, and there's a little store, and they may not have power, and they may not have ice, but there's warm Coca-Cola that you can buy. Coke's there. And I was thinking, all that happened in just 128 years, less than that. And, and I say that to say, Look, I, I know that getting somebody to drink sugar water is harder than getting someone to submit their life to Jesus, right? Or easier, rather. <laughs> Sorry. But I say that to say, like, we can do this. The world is small. Like, the Great Commission, we can do this. You know, hear these numbers, like, there's 670 million people in Southeast Asia. You know, like, what are we ever going to do? You know, how many people are in the Middle East? What are we ever going to do? All these people all over the world. What are we going to do? How are we going to reach them with for Christ? No, we can do this. Coca-Cola is everywhere. We can do this. But it's, it's going to require people that truly find their identity in the Lord and not our little small kingdoms. It's going to find people that are willing to partner with people that, man, if there's theological and missional alignment, let's go. Let's go, let's go, let's go advance the kingdom together. It's, it's going to require us not building our own little kingdoms. You know, it's going to require some contentment. <laughs> it's going to require pastors and church leaders to say, look, my identity is not in how big or how small my church is. My identity is in Jesus. And so whatever, use me however you want. It's going to require church members that are saying, my identity is not in, you know, being a big business person or living in this place and doing a little Christian stuff on the side. No, my identity is in the Lord. Use my life however you will, God. And if that happens, we can do this. This can happen. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Find your joy in the Lord. Find your identity in the Lord. That brings contentment. That brings partnership. That brings fruit. And here's the good news. You know the good news is? God's not just sovereign and almighty in control of everything. He also loves you. Let's not forget that. God loves you. I love how Paul ends this passage. 
He's like, my father, our father, this loving cry, our father will supply all of our needs. God loves us. He'll supply all of our needs. Let's rejoice in him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that Father, I pray that we would be submitted. Father, even right now, I just I submit my life to you. I am so prone along with everyone else in this room to find my identity in small things in temporal things and things that don't last and things that um, serve the little skull-sized kingdom on top of my head very well, but not much more than that. And so, Father, I thank you that the invitation of the gospel is this, that in Jesus Christ, we can know you, we can be united to you, we can be a part of your purposes. We can be used by you. We can be a part of something that's eternal. And so, Lord, I pray for, for me. I pray for our church, Lord. Lord, use us. Whatever you want to do with us. If it's your will that we be a big church or a small church, if it's your will that we plant a hundred churches or plant one church or whatever it is, Lord, I just pray that we be faithful. I pray, Father, that we'd be faithful to one another, that we'd actually love one another and fulfill the law of Christ. I pray, Father, we would never be so consumed with vision or with project, as important as those things are, that we forget about one another. And even, Lord, forget about you. So we surrender, Lord. We surrender to you today. Lead us in Christ. And we pray this in his name and for his sake. Amen.